In Revelation 5, the Apostle John described a vision he saw of God sitting on his throne holding a sealed scroll. John then explained that a figure known as the Lamb approached the throne and took the scroll. Is John's vision proof of a distinction of persons between God the Father and Jesus Christ? Stay tuned and find out. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit PentecostalPublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's PentecostalPublishing.com, promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. In Revelation 5.1, the Apostle John records a vision that he saw in which he sees one seated on the throne in heaven holding a scroll in his hand. And as the vision continues, John sees this figure that he identifies as the lamb who comes and takes the scroll out of the hand of the one seated on the throne. And it's very clear from the context of John's description of this vision that the lamb is Jesus. So taken at face value, isn't this passage then showing us that there's a distinction between the one who's seated on the throne, who's God, of course, and the lamb, Jesus Christ? This is an important question, and we must look at the book of Revelation as a whole. We can't just focus on one or two verses. So let me give you some general comments, and then we'll look at various verses that are relevant here. First of all, the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy or apocalyptic literature. It's highly symbolic. Nobody takes all the symbols literally. Uh, Nobody, for example, expects to go to heaven and see a physical, literal lamb, and bow down and worship an animal. Um, and you can see that because the lamb was slain, but yet it's walking around. Uh, it has seven eyes, which are explained as the seven spirits of God, seven being the number of completion or perfection. So even there, nobody expects that there's seven different divine spirits because the whole of scripture says there's one spirit of God. So immediately we understand we're dealing with something highly symbolic, figurative, visual. Second thing is important to understand throughout the New Testament, there is a real distinction between God as the creator and father and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the true human being who died for our sins. Now, under Trinitarian theology, they posit these are actually two different persons. Um, but what do we mean by persons? That's problematic. The Bible never speaks of God as persons, plural, um, whether two or three. And if you think of person as an individual being, uh, a dis- distinct center of consciousness, then that would violate the fundamental teaching throughout Scripture, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
But what we find in Revelation, which has to be emphasized because Revelation is talking about how God completes the plan of salvation, how he finally redeems human beings. Of course, that took place on the cross, but Revelation shows how it's going to be played out in human history in the future, in the end. So Revelation has to emphasize that Jesus Christ was a real human being who died for us. So you do find Revelation talking about Jesus as a man who was sent by God to do the will of God, not a second person sitting up in heaven, but a human being born to do the will of God. But you also find him as God. So you find a tension, if you will, between Jesus being seen as the man who died for our sins and Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of the universe. And of course, that is explained in other podcasts. We're talking about the incarnation, Second uh, Corinthians 5.19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Colossians 2.9, in him, that's Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus is God, uh, John 20.28, 20, same author, John, but he's also the son of God. Uh, John 20, 31, he's God manifested in the flesh. So we always have to keep that in mind. So with that in mind, let's get the context. So uh, we, we really would need to read the whole book of Revelation. So let's start with chapter one to see where we are. So in chapter one, verse seven and verse eight, I'm reading from the New King James. Behold, he is coming with clouds and Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Obviously, that's Jesus. Who's coming in the clouds? One personal being. We're not expecting two uh, bodies or three bodies, but we're expecting one. It would be Jesus Christ. Every eye will see him, those who pierced him. That's clearly Jesus. So then verse 8, this one is speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. From the context, we would say that's Jesus. And in fact, those of you that have red letter Bibles, although red letters are not original, that's the interpretation of the translators, but they universally put that passage in red saying, we know that's Jesus. So Alpha and Omega, that's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So it's equivalent to saying the beginning and the end, the first and the last, which of course, if you know your Bible in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, Jehovah, Yahweh, the one God of Israel said, I'm the first, I am the last. So here, Jesus is the first and the last Alpha and Omega beginning and the ending, says the Lord, he's the Lord who was who is and was and is to come, that reminds us of Exodus 3 when God told Moses at the burning bush, who are you? I am that I am, the eternal one, the one who always is, the always will be. And that, of course, I am is first person singular, but the name Yahweh or Jehovah, the personal name of the one true God, comes from the Hebrew word to be, the third person singular, meaning he is. So this I am and this he is, is the same one, Yahweh. So here he is and was and is to come. That's Yahweh. That's the I am. That's the God of Israel, the God who spoke to Moses, the God of Exodus chapter three, and then the Almighty. So here Jesus is given all these divine titles, which only God, only Yahweh in the Old Testament is given. First and last, Lord, I am Almighty. So clearly Jesus is identified as God. 
Okay, so he's identified as human because you're going to see him coming in the clouds. He was pierced, but you, you know him as God. Later in chapter 1, uh, let's continue reading in verse 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. So here is John, the beloved disciple, that was such close friends with Jesus that he sat right next to him at the Last Supper and even leaned against him, the position of honor. So he knew Jesus personally, intimately as a friend. He, he conversed with him every day. But when he sees the glorified Christ, he falls down as if he's dead. So why is that? Because he's seeing him as God, not just as a man, but as a man radiating the glory of God. And so he, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And then going to verse 18, I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of Hades and of death. So here he uses the same description, first and last. But then he makes it clear, I'm alive, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Obviously, that can only be Jesus. So my point here in Revelation 1, we find Jesus as a true man who was capable of dying and actually did die, but he rose again, but yet he is the Lord, the I am, the first and the last, the Almighty. He is God. So he's both at the same time. Now, Fast forward to chapter 4, verse 2, when John gets a vision of heaven. So in John 4, 2, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So if you're going to visualize heaven and what God's going to be like, it's not three thrones, not two thrones. Um, and, and I think I have another podcast on Jesus at the right hand of God, but obviously that's figurative because God is a spirit. There are not two thrones in heaven. And you'll find many Trinitarian scholars will say this, going back to Martin Luther um, and, and uh, even today, uh, saying if you think you're going to go to heaven and see two golden chairs <laughs> and the father sitting in one golden chair and the son sitting in another golden chair, you're wrong. That's figurative. It's not meant to be literal. So here we find clearly there's only one throne and one sat on the throne. Well, obviously that's God. Notice in chapter four, verse eight, how this one on the throne is described. The four living creatures who are around the throne, they cry out to him, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. Obviously that's the one God. But from Revelation 1, we know that's Jesus. So we know the one God is on the throne, but we also know he's Jesus. And that makes sense because Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says Christ is the image of God. And then 2 Corinthians 4.6 says the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So from Revelation 1 and Revelation 4, we find there's one divine throne. God is on the throne, and God is revealed as Jesus Christ, who is a true human, but he reveals the invisible God. Okay, so far, that's very clear. But then in chapter 5, something unusual happens. The one on the throne who was God, but who is Jesus, he has a scroll. And it is sealed with seven seals. And an angel cries out, who's worthy to open this scroll and loose the seals? It appears that this scroll would represent 
we're not sure, you know, different interpreters may vary, but it seems to be, you might say, the title deed to the human race. It, it's the destiny of humanity. But as the seals are broken, judgment comes upon fallen humanity. But as you continue reading Revelation 5, no one was worthy to open it. So John weeps. So apparently this represents, you know, our human inheritance. But one of the elders says, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah is coming and he's going to open the scroll. So when John looks up, he looks at this line. Of course, the line represents the, the uh, king. So the line of the tribe of Judah would be the king, which uh, the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. So he looks around to see the great line. And instead, I looked, and this is uh, Revelation 5, 6. I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits sent of God, sent out to all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse seven. So instead of seeing a lion, he sees a lamb. And obviously the lamb represents Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for sin, because this is a lamb that was slain. So here we see Jesus, the son of God, true human being who died on the cross for our salvation. He's the one who purchased the title deed of the human race. He's the one who is entitled to open the scroll and to redeem us and to proclaim our inheritance. So here's the key thing. Does this represent two divine persons? Well, I would say no. It only represents Jesus Christ in his sacrificial role because the first clue is He's in the midst of the throne. So actually, now this is a vision. So it's almost like John is looking around for a line to come out of the, the side. Instead, a lamb pops out. It, you could translate in the midst of the throne, the center of the throne, and we're going to see this in a minute. It looks like out of the throne. But yet, there's a figure still on the throne. Now, if you try to make this extremely literal, you say, well, there has to be two persons because... There's this figure on the throne. There's this, this dead lamb walking around. But if you're going to separate them, then you have to say the first person is a man. The second person is an animal. Nobody believes that. Instead, what you have to say, this is a figurative display of how Jesus Christ could die for our sins. So the incarnation is saying the one true God himself made this provision as I already quoted, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not bringing uh, people back to someone else, but bringing people back in relation to himself. So think of it this way. You're, of course, this is all inspired by God. But if you were trying to do a video of the incarnation, how would you do it? If you're trying to do a painting of the incarnation, how would you do it? So... There's one God who fills the universe. He doesn't stop being God. He doesn't stop giving orders to the angels. He doesn't stop being the God of heaven. But yet he comes down earth as a human to be the sacrifice for our sins. Can we say heaven was empty for the 30-some years of Jesus on earth? The angels are all sitting there for 30 years twirling their thumbs. Well, God's down on earth. We, 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 don't, we can't see him. We don't know where he is. He's not talking to us. No, God's still God. Could, could the wise men from the east... Uh, 
be directed by God even while the baby Jesus was in on earth? Of course. Could people pray and still talk to God while Jesus was walking around earth? Yes. So how would you visually depict God is still God, God is still omnipresent, God is still giving direction to the angels, but yet God is providing the sacrifice for sins. So you have to make some distinction. Now, if it was two different human beings, males, that would lead us to think two different persons. But when it's a human-like figure and an animal, then you're not so prone to say, oh, that's two persons, because it was your second person is an animal. And we know that's not right. And your second person's dead. And we know God can't die. So that that can't be right. And so what we see here, uh, if you're going to do a visual description of the incarnation and atonement, this is how it would have to be. The lamb comes out of the throne. The lamb comes back and takes the scroll from the one who's still on the throne. And then the lamb, I'll show you in a minute, comes back to the throne. So it's almost like I get the impression the lamb kind of emerges from the throne and does this work and then merges back to be sitting on the throne. Uh, God and the lamb. Now, this is not just a narrow oneness interpretation. If you go to the pulpit commentary, which is a historic classic translate uh, uh, commentary series, probably one of the most respected in the last couple hundred years, the pulpit commentary says, the one on the throne is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the lamb who comes out of the throne is the second person in his sacrificial role as a human. Well, that's the same thing I'm saying, except we don't have to have three persons to explain that. The, lamb, the, the one on the throne is God. The lamb is the man Christ Jesus in his sacrificial role dying for our sins. And the Vision shows it's God who does it himself. Now, if that seems maybe a little far-fetched, keep reading. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, it says this, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. Now, Different translations say this, this way, NIV, the lamb at the center of the throne, the NLT, the lamb on the throne. And then the NLT puts a note, the Greek literally says on the center of the throne. NASB, the lamb in the center of the throne. So all these translators are trying to find a way. The lamb is in the center of the throne. In other words, and then it says God will wipe away their tears. So it's not as if the lamb is sitting on the throne and God is over here somewhere else wiping tears away. No, it's obviously God himself uh, through the lamb. Go a little bit further. An interesting thing which you only see in Greek, Revelation 21, 22. And if you read it in English, you won't fully um, get the point because it simply says, and there shall be no more curse, but no, excuse me, uh, I'll go back 21 and uh, 22, but I saw, I saw no temple in it for, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, it uses in English the plural verb are to agree with Lord God, Almighty, Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. But the Greek, it's the singular, it's the third person singular of the verb to be, estin, literally meaning is. 
So the translators don't use is because it wouldn't seem grammatically correct. But basically what it's saying in Greek, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is one person. So the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are not two temples. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is to be viewed as one personal being who is the divine temple of heaven, which fits very well. God manifests in the flesh. God, Jesus Christ, is the temple in heaven. Okay, but if you're still not convinced, the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, which talks about the eternal state after the last judgment, after everybody who's been saved, everybody who needed atonement, is all, all received it. Here's what we see in eternity. Revelation 22, 3 through 4. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Notice there's one throne, not multiple thrones, the throne, singular. It's the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, if you think, well, there are two persons sitting side by side, an old man and an animal, or maybe the old man is holding the animal, you know, one person sitting on the other, but that's not what it's saying because it, it uses singular pronouns for God and the lamb. His servants shall serve him. So God and the lamb is one personal being, not two. So here's the answer to Revelation 5, the throne, one throne. God and the Lamb is one personal being sitting on the throne. We'll see him, not them. Okay, who is both God and the Lamb at the same time? Who is both the sovereign of the universe and the sacrifice for sin? Who is both deity and humanity? It is Jesus Christ. They shall see his face, as I've already quoted, who is the image of the invisible God. So you're not going to see God's spirit, even in heaven, even as glorified humans, we're not going to see an invisible spirit. So what face are we going to see? Second Corinthians 4, 6, the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. John 14, 9 through 11, when Philip asked Jesus, show us the father, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? The father dwells in me. The words of the Lord are forever settled in heaven. He can't change. He's, he's going to have to tell us the same thing he told Philip. If we say, well, Lord, I want to see the Father. He's going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, God and the Lamb. And then it says, his name shall be on their foreheads. Well, there are many names and titles of God throughout Scripture. The highest name in the Old Testament is Jehovah or Yahweh. But what's the highest name of the whole Bible? It's Jesus, which actually includes Yahweh because it means Yahweh Savior. And that's why Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says God has given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue that shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it says in people on earth, uh, those who are in earth, under the earth, in heaven, in other words, the whole created order, the whole universe, will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and specifically will bow at the mention of, of the name of Jesus. So Revelation 22 gives us the answer. The lamb is God manifest in the flesh. The lamb is the sacrifice for sin. There's one personal being on the divine throne. We get to heaven, we're gonna see God and the lamb as one personal being with one face and one name 
That's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.